Afternoon, Universe. Welcome to another episode of Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition. Breaking down the stronghold bad opinions of the enemy and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we're still digging into Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian dogmatics because we believe that once you write down, once you confess, once you say again, well, that went out really fast, once you say again what the Lord's Word has said, it can actually last forever. We're not, we're not saying that every time somebody repeats God's Word, it's Scripture. We're saying the Scripture is so true that when you re-speak that Word again, the truth stays with it, and it can be read studied, inwardly digested, known, believed, spoken again, that this is actually the mission of the church, to renew minds with this truth. The St. Paul says we should hunger for it, to, to watch this doctrine closely, because the time is coming, in fact, it is even now here, when people will not put up with sound teaching, but will suit for their own desires, after their own passions, teachers to teach what their itching ears will long would rather hear. It is not to be so with you, my dear Christian. Instead, you're to cling to the trustworthy message as it has been taught and so encourage others. To help us do this today on Cross Defense, we've got some regular guests back on the air. Andrew Preuss, he's pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa, and Pastor Adam DeGroot. He is and the missionary at St. Andrew Lutheran Church Plant in Albuquerque, New Mexico, currently making the rounds to let people know what he's doing. I believe he tells me he's out in Florida today. I guess there's worse times of year to be in Florida. There's better times of year to be in Florida, too. So, gentlemen, how are you both doing this afternoon? I'm doing so very very fine, Jonathan. Thank you. Yeah, glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. So, so we're in this section of Luther's or Luther's Peeper's dogmatics, which he calls theology as doctrine. Which, in one sense, you're kind of like, well, duh, right? Like, what is theology but doctrine? But he's he's being really specific about this because he's he spent some time developing theology really as habit or as practice or as what we might call subjective experience. How we how we uh, we see this come into play, particularly in the life of a pastor and what should be expected of him. But now he's moving in the direction of what we would maybe call subjective, no, excuse me, I got that backwards, objective as opposed to subjective theology. The objective truth, this is kind of what I said in the opening, this thing that never changes, the thing that's always the same. And in this, he is doing, we spent a year now in Peeper's Dogmatics, and he's just a lot of time saying, look guys, scripture. Look, guys, Scripture, which you might say, yeah, we know this now, but no, we really don't. I mean, a, a quick cursory glance at the American climate shows that not only are the, the unbelievers completely unaware of what Christianity teaches, according to the Scriptures, but a lot of, a lot of church Christianity is pretty unaware of it as well. So some opening thoughts about that or the context before we get into uh, Luther's own day and what he had to deal with with those who were trying to teach something other than what the Scriptures say. No, I think my, my initial reaction here is as we're looking at, at what what Pieper's talking about is is the text that we had yesterday in the in the three year lectionary. Most specifically, is it's talking about the you know the oil of the lamp, or, or you know as we're supposed to understand it, the actual word of God and then the Spirit that works faith in us. And and you know no matter how often we or rather we can't hear it enough. I mean, having to be brought back to the source of of all goodness, the source of all truth, and the source of, of 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 all all that is in this world is 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 something that we we should never grow weary of, and and we we certainly can't hear enough of. Yeah, um, uh, my my first thoughts uh, are uh, that 
when you look at you know every argument that we've ever had about the scriptures, um, we we tend to have to deal with, or in just theology in general, we tend to have to deal with um, with this charge that you know we are just we're just kind of worshiping a dead letter, and that we meet, we need to enliven the scriptures or find how it's relevant um, and how how it how it really impacts our life. Um, and uh, or you might hear people kind of put down theology as though it's you know as though it's just you need to focus more on kind of relevant practical issues. All of these all of these uh, arguments are assuming that the scriptures and the doctrine that is uh, that is taught by the scriptures is in itself irrelevant and in need of us or some spirit outside of scripture to enlighten it. And uh, and that's something I think that that's what uh, Peeper is really trying to to address and and combat. I think that's such a huge thought there, Pastor Preuss, in that the, the assumption that what God has done needs us is <laughs> is what the fall was, right? So God creates mm-hmm. the world good, and Adam's like, I can make it better, and, and here we are still doing the same thing. God has spoken salvation through the man Jesus Christ. He has given us all we need to know in law and gospel, and yet we're going to call this a, a dead letter, a, a boring letter. Uh, it needs to be enlivened in some way. It's irrelevant or impractical. I mean, w- what could be more relevant than the, than the design of creation and the way the world was made to work perfectly? And what could be more relevant than the atoning sacrifice which paid for the imperfection we have wrought on it? So uh, responding thoughts to that, Pastor Preuss? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this reminds me of um, of uh, this article I read by my grandpa Preuss. Um, he wrote back, I don't know, probably when he was my age. Let's make sure everybody knows um, which grandpa that is. I mean, we, you, uh, know, you know who it is, but which Preuss are you talking about? Robert Preuss. Thank you. Uh, he was the president of the seminary in Fort Wayne for a while. Um, and before that, he was at St. Louis, but I think it was probably when he was teaching at St. Louis, he wrote this wrote this article about the relevancy of justification. I can't remember exactly the name of the, the article, but at the end of the article, he just, you know, he well, he kind of lays out throughout it the, the, uh, the uh, you know, what the doctrine of justification is. And at the end of the article, he, he kind of returns to the question, so is this still relevant? And he's like, well, uh, does my conscience still bear witness against me, you know, that I'm, that by nature I'm under God's wrath, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner, you know, I mean, yeah, of course this is relevant to him who knows that he's a sinner, who deserves God's judgment. So, I mean, it's, I think that when people treat the Word of God and treat doctrine as if it's just this kind of system of rules and that, that doesn't really have much relevance to it, relevancy to our life, unless we tell a cute story to make it a, make it, make it attach. I think that they're missing the whole point that um, that we have this experience of as sinners standing before God, and once you see yourself as before the judgment seat of God, well, then the scriptures all of a sudden become much more relevant to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to throw this your way, Pastor DeGroote. Uh, as a missionary, I mean, this has got to hit the ground. Is the conscience still relevant? Well, no, of course it is. I, you know, you find in, in, in how many different instances and in, in, in almost every interaction that, that I've had, uh, especially with individuals that are burdened in some way, shape, or form, and it's not, it's not that they're burdened by poverty, and it's not that they're burdened by homelessness, and it's not that they're burdened by any sort of uh, physical thing. Those are, I would imagine, you know, I would say in a lot of ways, symptomatic of the, of the, greater, the greater problem of, of, of the fact that, you know, we live in a sinful and fallen world, and the anecdotal 
um, uh, uh, I guess, solutions that are offered by the world um, simply provide, you know, the best they can provide is something temporary. And, you know, being able to, you know, be in a church uh, and be a pastor and have something that, you know, you know, is able to, to give something to them that, you know, may not take away their poverty. It may not give them a home and may not uh, change anything in terms of their physical circumstances, but has a very lasting and in, indelible, uh, leaves an indelible mark on the very soul of the person in which you're interacting with. And, and you know, what sort of monetary value or what, what sort of earthly value can be placed upon the, the certainty that you and I stand before God, not as one's judged, but as one's bought and paid for, redeemed. And, you know, that, that absolutely does change um, people's lives and, and, and the way that they, they view things. Because I think, as Pastor Coyce was talking about, is that if we're looking at the Scriptures either as dead letters or, if nothing, you know, if nothing more, a book of law and a book of suggestions and a, and a book that's there to suggest how we can be, you know, happy and productive in this life, um, I'm afraid that at the end we lose our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we lose our Lord Jesus Christ, what, what, what have we left? And the answer is nothing. And there's no power in all the universe like a conscience set free. And it really is the, the heart of Christianity, not not in us, but what God is doing to us. It's the way that the martyrs of old were able to stand and, and really disdain the, the, the enemies who would burn them at the stake and say, you know what, you can't take anything from me. It's all about that conscience that knows it is bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. Now, in that then, and I think this is an important seg a little bit here, that where does this free conscience come from? And in some respects, it comes from an authority that is outside of you that has the power to give it to you. So the question of, you know, what is the role of Scripture in, in Christianity is what is the role or what is the authority of Scripture in the Christian's life and or what is the, the, the seat of authority within the church itself? So we're picking up on Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, Volume 1, page 56, first full sentence, where Dr. Pieper says, Luther takes this matter up again when he discusses the authority of the Christian church. Now, I was just talking in Bible study yesterday, actually, about how we despise that word authority so much in America. We, we just don't like anything having authority over us. But there is an authority that the church has, but what is it, right? He denies, this is Luther, denies that the church has the authority to make Christian doctrine or to decree articles of faith. Because the church has and proclaims no word of its own, but only Christ's word. The church repudiates every teaching which is not Christ's word. Though a lot of this gabbing is going on, this is Luther here, the church has no part in the prattle. Let them cry and rave, church, church, without God's word, it amounts to nothing. Now, he didn't really emphasize in that in that statement there that we do have the authority to confess Jesus' word as, as well, right? To, to repeat what God has said, but kind of going in both directions, that the, the seat of authority within the church is given to us as God's word declared to us, we exercise that authority both as pastors and people by repeating, by same saying what scripture says, and by silencing those who would speak out against it or, or to lose, use Luther's very gentle and soft language that would go over so well on Facebook today, you know, the prattling and the crying and the raving and the gabbling uh, that's going on. Thoughts about any of that, guys? Yeah, well, well I, you know, without, without the word of God, there is no church. And, uh, this is, uh, 
you know, a lot of the caricatures that uh, that you'll hear from Roman Catholics about uh, the Lutheran position on Scripture alone, they'll, they'll say, uh, well, where do you think the Scriptures came from? They're, and they're speaking of the canon, you know, that the canon was compiled by those in the Church. Um, but script, Luther, when he, you know, when he is saying that the that the um, the the church cannot exist apart from the word of God, or he would he would understand that synonymously with the scriptures. Apart from the scriptures, the church doesn't exist. He's talking about the uh, the doctrine um, of the scriptures. He's talking about the doctrine of the apostles. Um, and so this kind of this caricature that uh, that we somehow don't believe that uh, the, the church existed until all of the the, until until all of a sudden you could get into a codex book form, you know all of the apostolic writings. Um, that's just never what we've taught, um, but rather we're teaching that the, the the church exists on the foundation of the prophets and apostles, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone, as as, as Paul says in Ephesians uh, two. And so this is a, an important point because we don't want to get the cart before the horse. Um, that uh, that the word of God is what creates the Church. And therefore, since the Scriptures are the revealed Word of God to us, we uh, bind the Church to the Scriptures, even though, obviously, as the Church, we translate the Bible, we collect, you know, we kind of preserve it, um, and, you know, preserve the writings, but that doesn't mean that we are the originators of the truth, or even the ones who help bring about or establish what that truth is. You know, it's only the Scriptures. Even the prophets and the apostles are not the source, right? The Word of God comes to them, and a faithful prophet is one who hears the counsel of God and repeats it, and the faithful apostle is the ambassador who is sent with a message, and he actually takes that message with him. So it is the Word that is primary, even in that foundation moment that makes the apostles and prophets write down what they have. To Groot, response? Yeah, no... I agree, and I think, you know, as, as you're looking at it, and I think, you know, as we've gone through Peter's Volume 1, you know, I've used the word more than once, you know, audacity or audacious. So this is an audacious claim, and I think one of the things that, that is, is as much today as it has always been is that the, the, claims, the claims that the Scriptures have and the claims that the Christian Church makes in, in accordance with the Scriptures and the authority that, that we say that we have over the, the, the you know, most specifically uh, eternal death, the forgiveness of sins, um, and, and, and many other things, the church is making claims that no other no other organization, no other entity in this world can can begin to even make uh, at all. And um, you, you know, and more so, you know, as we continue to you know continually slip into our own sin and our own depravity as well. You know, the the, the question that lingers in our day as much as it has in any other time is is who is anybody to say one thing or another about what's where I write, what's wrong, what what's truth, and, and, and what should should happen and what shouldn't. And, and, you know, that's more along the lines of what Pastor Poise is talking about with regard to understanding the, the Scriptures just as the law. But, you know, we, we wrestle with both the authority of, of who are you to say how I should act and, and the authority of who says you have dominion over uh, the powers and principalities of darkness, the, the, the sins that... that, that uh, or the darkness in our life, and, and it's it's a it's an audacious claim that we as Christians make, and yet it's it's true, and in accordance with the scriptures that have you know been given to us through the apostles and the prophets, and ultimately from our Lord Himself. 
In a world that wants to plug its ears and scream, does God really say this? Did God really say the authority of salvation is God's word at work in the world to set your conscience free? That's what we mean when we say church, those to whom the word of God has come. Cross the fence. We'll be right back. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you anytime, anywhere since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. When you need a friend, you have a friend in Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, and friends among his people at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri. At Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, you will find Christ-centered word and sacrament ministry, inspirational liturgical worship services, and faithful preaching and teaching. Sunday worship is at 9 a.m. Sunday school and Bible class are at 1030. We invite you to join us. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. KFUO is faithful to the Word of God. Listen daily to KFUO as we focus on salvation through Christ Jesus. Generations have heard KFUO proclaim the good news through our talk programs, music programs, and worship services. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. KFUO, faithful, scriptural, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We are the messenger of good news, KFUO. The only answer to a conscience that's struggling is certainty. Certainty which comes and makes sure that you have authoritative statements to deal with the problem before you. And when you're dealing with a conscience that is guilty, that authority needs to do something very specific. It needs to forgive you of your sins. We're talking about the authority of Scripture with Pastor Adam DeGroote and Pastor Andrew Preuss here on Cross Defense and Worldwide KFUO on this Monday afternoon, 11-13-2017. We're looking at Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics. We're on page 56. We've just heard one quote from Luther about how nobody in the church has authority to say anything that God hasn't himself already said. And now Dr. Pieper is going to lean into, this doesn't just apply to the plebeians. It's not just for the dumb little lay people who shouldn't be allowed to talk. This is for everybody, including the most respected, the highest learned people in all the world and all the church. Uh, uh, Dr. Pieper says, and Luther applies this also to those teachers who are held to be theologians par excellence, the professors of theology. And I don't want to mock that too hard. It's a good thing to go and study theology and get your degree at a high level if you want, but it doesn't mean that you're above the scriptures, right? Some modern theologians take the position, Pieper says, that while the ordinary preacher should content himself with the teaching of the doctrine as scripture presents it. This restriction must not be laid upon the divinity professors who owe a duty to the scientific method, right? So so that they really, they, they have a higher calling than just the care of the flock. They need to worry about the real questions of truth that reason, of course, is the ultimate arbiter of. Luther does not share this view, Pieper says. He tells the university theologians that they, too, must exercise the strictest mental discipline. They must, without mercy, 
banish from their minds all thoughts about God and divine matters which are not clearly expressed in the words of Scripture. Luther adduces his own example. We'll talk about his example there just in a moment. But what about this? I mean, do we still see this today where there's like people who would say, uh, you know, some people should worry about just what the Scriptures say, but we're at a higher level now. We're, We're dealing with more important things. I actually think we're in a worse place where like nobody cares about Scripture at all. There, there is no higher level or distinction at all. It's just sort of like, that's your opinion, man, and, and that's all we got. Well, they both go hand in hand. Um, this is uh, I, this reminds me of when I when I first got to seminary, uh, there was, a, there was a, a guy who was in a final year at seminary who was telling me, he was telling the, the, me and, and other students about a conversation that he had with these seminary students from a liberal seminary. And I can't remember if it was ELCA or or if it was some other liberal uh, Protestant seminary, but they were just they were just talking about how oh yeah we don't actually believe that this stuff happened in the Bible, um, but uh, but yeah we'll we'll still teach the people you know kind of the generic stuff that they believe, and he was just so scandalized that these people are they're a lot they're they're the the people who are put under their spiritual care, actually believe the Bible, hmm. but they don't. And they kind of look down on the people and, uh, uh, and and just kind of treat them as like, oh, like, I guess a little peasants who just don't know any better. And while they're really getting into all this high and mighty criticism, um, and uh, you like what I did there, um, so uh, higher, you know, higher criticism where you basically you're, you're saying, oh, well, we're really going to look at the, at the, at the, at, at, uh, what the true, uh, 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 you know, kind of scientific meanings are, and we're gonna, and, and the truth of scripture is really any truth is really going to be dependent on our scientific investigation, historical investigation, and the result of it. Then this is why I say it goes hand in hand. The result of it is a less educated laity, because mm-hmm. if you, if, if your pastor is not excited about this as, and saying this is actually the truth of God's word, but it's just kind of going through the motions while in its heart of hearts and in its spare time is just kind of studying uh, people, you know, reading guys who don't actually believe that this is the Word of God, um, and then thinking that he's so smart and academic, well, then there is going to be more and more of a gulf between what we call theology and what we call piety. And then you end up with the laity getting kind of a mysticism or pietism that is detached from the knowledge of scripture and then they they are they are they are taught to despise knowledge um and it's all because the academics treat it as mere academia and mere head knowledge that is just basically irrelevant to their uh primitive uh piety um, of the people there's like a lowbrow version of this today too though where so you got the academic level where you're, you're trying to put together with your scientific method the his, the real historical jesus behind the text and all this kind of stuff the stuff that we we saw really at the fore during the seminex movement of, of the 1970s the missouri Senate as well but you have like the the lowbrow or the i don't want to call it blue collar i like blue collar that's almost insulting to the blue collar but the the approach is like well the bible has all of this intellectual stuff in it but but if I'm going to grow this church, I got to preach, you know, the the, the practical stuff. I got to give exactly. people purpose. I got to give people uh, financial tips. I got to give people advice with their marriage. And, and that's the real stuff. And like you said, Pastor Price, what you've just done is you've divided the knowledge of God from their spirituality as if these things too, don't go hand in hand. DeGroote, I hear you chiming in too, though. What do you want to say? 
Well, no, I, and, and you're absolutely right. Is that you know, as you then begin to fragment these things, you know, it's no wonder that the that the end result is is this misconception that the that the scriptures themselves are fragmented. When the reality is the teachers that are that are, you know, I, I I don't mean to speak disparagingly, but you know, the the onus, and we talked about this last time. I talked about this last time I was on. Is that the the onus of the of the of the watchman is is tremendous and and the responsibility um that is that's given uh to god's man in ordination is 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 no small thing it's it's one of the things that i remember many times you know as as the the reality of the responsibility of what being a steward of souls entailed uh scared the daylights out of me Hmm. and the reality that it was it was certainly not that I could usher people into the gates of heaven, that, that is reserved for Christ alone. But there was certainly the possibility that, that through my error, through my teaching, through, through my, my her- you know, any heresy, et cetera, so on, and God, of course, protect us from these things, but that through these, this bad teaching, um, you know, like Pastor Price, you mentioned it, if nothing more, you have an, you have an ill-informed and unde- an uneducated laity, but even worse, you... You know the, the the shepherd himself. Then is it, how is he not then ushering these souls into the very gates of hell? It's <laughs> this is not child's play we're dealing with here. This is the very the very truth of of, of the Creator of of heaven and earth, uh, who has been pleased to uh, in some ways belittle himself uh, in in the words of scriptures in order that you know as we hear in the in, in the Gospel of John that we might know who he is. Uh, he's he's pleased for us to know who he is, and uh, and he's he's done that through very simple things. But I think it's difficult too because um, we look often at salvation as such a profound thing. We look at forgiveness of sins as a profound thing, and then when when the pastor or the the theologian says, "Well, uh, our Lord, Lord works through the simple means of water, the most common element in the world, and through bread and, and wine, and and through the, the the preached word from a from a, another sinner's mouth, and it is through these things that salvation, life, and the forgiveness of sins comes." It's it, it's confounding. It, it's 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 contrary to intellect. It's 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 it befuddles us in many ways. Royce, you want to jump on that? Yeah, well, and, and there's there's obviously um, a, a legitimate concern that we as pastors and theologians have, and we learn this in seminaries, don't go over people's heads and meet them where they are. And there's a lot of wisdom to that. And, you know, the St. Paul speaks of this way as teaching with all patience and diligence. Um, but I think that what happens when, uh, when we divorce the knowledge from spirituality or knowledge from piety— um, that is knowledge of God and his doctrine, um, we end up then getting sort of a status quo of, of, of an un- uneducated laity, and then the goal when doctrine is looked at as just kind of head knowledge that isn't actually relevant to our spirituality and isn't actually truth for the conscience, then the, sta- the, 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 the goal then becomes sort of not rocking the boat and allowing the people to kind of maintain their piety, don't make any changes if you if if you see that this is against God's word, let's say they have they 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 have uh, certain certain practices that are contrary to the word of God. Well, you know, just, just don't don't rock the boat too much. And we get kind of I think it makes us scared. It makes us weak need when we treat God's word as though it's just an academic word book um, meant for 
academics to really dive deeply into, while the uh, the pious can just have a few Bible verses that uh, that 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 feed them a little bit, but then just sort of keep them in their kind of status quo carnal security. Um, and it's really just destructive, and I, it makes makes both pastor and curers just timid and and weak. Yeah, in the face of of a world that's increasingly aggressive as well. Although I do got to say that if a guy doesn't actually believe it's God's word, God's word, I'd rather have him be weak, need, and not speaking much than yeah. than you know boasting and prolixing every every which direction. So we got yeah. this example on page fifty seven from Luther's own life and some words from Luther that you know, I just I just love how uh, rambunctious Luther is when he talks. But uh, first. He says, Peter points out that Luther says of this, this idea, it is inevitable that our own thoughts intrude into our study of the high matters pertaining to God and divine things. Luther, too, found all sorts of notions arising in his mind, but God had granted him the grace to submerge all thoughts that were outside Scripture. So, yeah, as sinful people, we're always going to have the, the, the tendency to want to go above, beyond, under, or around the Word of God, but that grace is given by the Holy Spirit's preaching of this Word to us that we would believe, and one of these words is often translated as obey, hupakuo, to be under the words, right? To have the words be over us. I, I, I love that language. So now here's this example of, of Zwingli and and the others. Zwingli was this guy that Luther and he almost could agree and join their reformations together, except they disagreed on one point of doctrine, which is the meaning of the word is in this is my body and this is my blood. Although, as we can see, there's a little more going on here than just that word. Zwingli and his associates said that Luther was without spirit, they said. They condemned this clinging to the words of Scripture as mere intellectual knowledge, letter worship, dead theology. The spirit must be given reins, they said. Luther replied that if he had wanted to give free play to the spirit, in quotes, scare quotes there, he could perhaps have originated more thoughts of his own than all the enthusiasts together. But he had no right to foist his own notions on the church. Now here's Luther saying it himself. Oh, how many fine ideas occurred to me which I had to dismiss. If an enthusiast had so many fine notions, he would not find enough printing presses to tell the church about them. Moreover, Pieper goes on, says Luther, it is not the Holy Spirit that urges you to have your own thoughts about God and divine matters. I'm going to read that again. It is not the Holy Spirit that urges you to have your own thoughts about God. The Holy Spirit would have us be catechumens and pupils of the prophets. We repeat and preach what we have heard and learned from the apostles and the prophets. Uh, Pastor Preuss, you get first shot. Yeah, this is uh, this is absolutely fantastic, Luther, and it shows how much respect Luther has for the church, because Luther says, well, I'm not going to treat the church this way, to have my own opinions, or my the, my, the spirit spirits that have come to me apart from the scriptures that luther would see as tyranny um to uh, to 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 force the pious to obey um whims of anyone else but the spirit of god revealed in the scriptures through the prophets and apostles you know this is um through the teaching of the prophets and apostles and and you know this this is really showing you know we really need to understand that when we think when, when, if, if you have a wrong opinion on something and you really feel something a certain way, and your pastor instructs you from the Word of God that, no, that's not a correct opinion, that's not a correct feeling, he's not being a tyrant. In fact, he's, he's trying to rescue you from the tyrant of your own flesh 
and the, and the spirit of your old Adam, which is in league with all the evil spirits that are contrary to the Word of God. And when we, are, when we recognize our true authority as the Scriptures, and we submit to them in faith in the, in the Christ that they reveal, then we are not under the law. We're not under a yoke of slavery, and we're not under a tyrant, but we're under our, our gracious Lord who rules us in, in spirit and in truth. Tagrut? No, I read and that's absolutely right in the sense that you know the the you know being being subject to to our own whims and 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 the and the bondage that's that's inherent there is that you know we um I would say in, in many ways are 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 beholden to you know sort of the 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 for lack of a better word the theology of now and that's that's not necessarily um that's not necessarily helpful um in the sense and what I mean by that just simply is that you know the idea that somehow uh, things in 2017 are different than they were in 1517 or, or, or the year 17, and the reality is that's not, not the case. Um, and being subject to or, 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 or being guided by the sentiments or the winds of change, or the winds of, 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 of common sentiment, um, is absolutely, as, as was being said, that's, that's, a, that's a bondage of sort and, and sorts, and, and it leaves us really being reactionary. Whereas, uh, you know, understanding that we have been subject to to the, to the Word of God from the very beginning, and that it's never changed, and it's always been uh, generous to reveal um, where our wickedness is, our sin, and, and, and our depravity, and, and precisely what that's doing in terms of separating us from God, uh, but also... Um, you know, and, and I think about the, the text from yesterday, too, is that the light that, that, that shines upon us, sometimes it reveals that that we are depraved, depraved, we are sinful, that we do need to go before our Lord and, and to confess what it is that we have, we have done and where we have erred. And yet, even in that, the Lord is quick to, to save, to forgive, and to then shine the light of forgiveness upon us, that we might then begin to walk in the light of, of, of the truth of our sins being loosed and, and of being set free from the bondage of our sin. It's, it's absolutely amazing that the difference between the bondage of, of, the, of the will that we have and and the freedom that that comes through uh, the very simple means as I mentioned before of of, of the proclamation of, of the forgiveness of sins uh, life and salvation one of the things that really strikes me about these uh, Luther comments here as well is the emphasis on the endlessness of our own opinions that, that once you start down trying to figure out what God really thinks you just th- there is no agreement it's just constant more and more there would not be enough printing presses in all the world to write all the books of all our very creative and great ideas about what we think God might be like and then to to compare that scholarly work that great and magnificent professorial work of always publishing more books and I'm a guy who likes to publish books so you know I'm not I'm not against books but to compare that great work to the simple work of being a catechumen, of sitting yeah. at the feet of a teacher and doing nothing but receiving. And you know what this really brings to mind is when Christ said, you cannot serve two masters, you're either going to be, uh, you're either going to despise the one and, and be devoted to the other. And the two masters, what Jesus is also teaching here, is that you're either serving one of two masters, you're either serving God, who is gracious to us and gives us his Son um, in our in salvation, and rules our minds and hearts with his peace, or you are a slave to mammon, which includes not just material wealth and money, but your own sinful flesh, your own carnal opinions, and the opinions of the world. And so when people want to 
believe that the Spirit is speaking to them in some immediate way outside of the Scriptures and guiding them to have all sorts of opinions, which which all tend to make them feel really good about themselves and how they already are. They are being slaves to mammon, and uh, and 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 this is why why um, uh, you know Pastor Groot's comment about about the bondage of the will. This is exactly it. That the bondage of the will is bondage to mammon, and that's what we all are by nature. Um, but Christ sets us free to be bound to Him, so that we are free and have free willing spirits that listen to the Word of God and are and are are satisfied. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What's a little child do? A little child knows very little and must learn much. Cross defense, coming right back. Hi, I'm Andy Bates, and I invite you to join me at 10 a.m. each weekday as we explore the stories of experts and everyday people in their given vocations. Faith and Family, weekdays at 10 a.m. on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Hi, this is Bart Day, President and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. On September 1 of this year, I started in my new position at LCEF, completely humbled by the call to serve. LCEF has faithfully served the church for the last 39 years, and the work of providing funds and services for the sharing of the gospel of Christ, well, that work will extend long into the future. Together, our investors and borrowers look forward to a bold future of serving you and the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit us at lcef.org to learn more. We shall not, we shall not be moved. It's a song we immediately associate with the civil rights movement from Psalm 16:8. I have set the Lord before me, I shall not be moved. The Bible played a pivotal role in the civil rights movement, and Martin Luther King was often the spokesperson. King frequently quoted the Bible in his speeches, and certainly in his now iconic speech in the nation's capital in 1963 from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 4 and 5. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. And now, on November 17, Museum of the Bible opens in Washington, D.C., celebrating this book of all books. We shall not be Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Repristination, repristination to repeat, to say it again. This is something that for the American is boring just because, you know, show me something new. But for the American Christian and American Christianity, it gets even worse. It's like we have the idea that if we've sung the song too many years in a row, we better get rid of it. Otherwise, it won't help us at all. When uh, the, the kind of the fundamental thought of Christianity is that we need to do something again and again and again. The scriptures must come to us again and again and again if we're ever going to believe it because we leak it. Uh, we have these false thoughts arising from within us that send us in the wrong direction. We need to ha- be confronted by the law and gospel from without and be reminded then uh, of who we are according to God's declaration and not according to our own opinions. 
We're talking with Pastor Andrew Preuss and Pastor Adam DeGroote about the scriptures and about their authority as something that is stable and lasting and uh, looking at this as theology as doctrine, the segment of Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics. We're about page 57. I'm going to do one more full paragraph here where Dr. Pieper says... To some, the use of the word repeat, or nashagen, I, I, you know, I'll let Pastor Boyce fix my German when he, when he speaks here, but to, to repeat is the, is, um, in this connection is offensive. Right? It's offensive to say that all we're supposed to do is repeat or to echo. Now, Luther does not mean that the Christian teacher must not use more words and other words than are found in Scripture, for that is untenable. So it's not like the pastor gets up to preach and he just reads the gospel lesson again. And then he's, you know, you're saying good morning on the way out of church and he just speaks a verse from the gospel again, right? No, no, he's allowed to extrapolate or to explain or to confess would be the way I would say that. But uh, Luther purposefully uses the strong word repeat. He would emphasize as strongly as possible that the Christian teacher, quote, should teach nothing in divine matters outside scripture. His doctrine should be, as to its content, simply a reproduction of the doctrine of the prophets and apostles without any admixture of his own human views. All true teachers of the church are so constituted, says Luther, that, quote, they present nothing original or new as the prophets did, but teach only what they get from the prophets. And this, I'm, I'm big on this. You know, there is no more revelation. Revelation is closed. The scriptures uh, are a effectively a finished book. It is a closed canon. It, we know all that we need to know. We don't need to find new revelations or visions out there. It's done. We, we point back to what we have been given. The uh, Peeper again here. The teacher's at the theological schools of the Missouri Synod are not overdoing it when they ask their students to examine and re-examine their completed sermons for the purpose of detecting and mercilessly deleting any non-scriptural thought that may have crept in because it has no right to be heard in the church of God which is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Um, a very good construction there put upon the teachers at the schools of the Missouri Synod but I, I, I think his point is, is well taken even so. You know, Regardless of what kind of state we find ourselves in there was a time in the 1970s when that was not being taught at the seminaries. Today, I'll let you be the judge of that. I think our are doing all right. They're doing okay. I don't want to. I don't want to bash him or anything here. But like, would they say what what he just said? I wasn't taught that. Right. That mercilessly delete every thought that has nothing to do with scripture. That seems kind of harsh a little bit here. Really? Is that what we should be doing? Thoughts, guys? Well, I, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> lest we leave, you know, lest we leave the, the that 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 uh, that that dubiousness or, or you know the that responsibility to, to the man himself who can't, who can't see his error. Um, what use is theological training then? And, you know, it's, uh, we as, as pastors in the Missouri Synod, I think in, in many ways have been given the best theological education in, in, in all the world, and, and I'm partial, of course, to that. But, you know, whether or not I've had to actually go through and you know, papers or, or sermons in, in my years in seminary, there were some professors where I did, and, and thanks be to God that that was the case, because it was, it, was a re, it was a reproof and a reproach that was done in the spirit of charitableness and love for the overall well-being of the Church at large, um, not taking into account um, my person, but taking into account the very office that I would one day hold as overseer of the, uh, and the shepherd of souls. Bryce? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and it, it, this stuff can 
often be very subtle. Um, our, one, one thing that uh, can happen often, unfortunately, is when pastors, and it's probably due to laziness, that they will come up with a theme that they get from a, a funny story that they hear or experience that they, that they see, um, and they, they run with that and then try to kind of force it into uh, uh, working with the text. Uh, that they're dealing with. I remember hearing a sermon um, when I was in seminary at at, at, um, at a at a church uh, where the guy was he was talking about Noah and he kept saying out of the blue and Noah got this out of the blue and then eventually he says and then we get this out of the blue. He didn't really explain you know what revelation actually is and and the the use of the scriptures and it was kind of he kind of kind of left the impression that just because he kept on wanting to return to the steam out of the blue, um, that's all I really remembered of it, and it really left open the, the you know, whether, this, so does God's revelation come to us literally out of the blue, like out of the sky? I mean, what's going on here? So, um, you know, a lot of times we can, we as preachers, we can easily get lazy, and uh, instead of starting with the text and ending with the text, we might start with some funny story that we want to tell, and maybe we want to get a joke in there, get them laughing. And uh, you, you hear a lot about bridges, you know, get a bridge. And there might be some truth to that where you kind of you kind of uh, uh, get people's attention. But that bridge or theme should be taken from the text, um, and it should not be superimposed onto the text. And often that can be very subtle. I really like just just that idea, starting with the text and ending with the text. I mean, I, I know that one of the things, they, they did teach me some good things at the seminary, so please don't hear that I, I said otherwise. One, What I wasn't taught was to go over my sermon multiple times, mercilessly looking for a phrase that's out of place, right? I, I, and I don't know that I would actually get around to doing that still today, but I think it's a, it's a fair challenge to, to throw at us that we should be that severe about what we're actually going to say, because I would say, I'm going to make every possible possible effort to not say something that is not founded upon what the text actually says. Is it possible for me to find a metaphor that's not in the text that says what the text actually says? Yeah, I think that's that's possible. I'm not as familiar with the bridges as you point out there, uh, Pastor Price. I don't even know really what that's referring to. But what I what I what we don't want to do. I think what I think this is what you're getting at. I think this is what uh, Peeper's getting at, and, and this is what at St. Louis Seminary, what they taught me directly, don't use the text for a pretext, right? Mm-hmm. So so the, the, the passage that you're going to preach on is not there to get you to some other thing to say. <laughs> it's there for you to say what it says. So when you say start with the text, end with the text, the way I like to think of it today is the text is my outline. I don't create an outline for a sermon. The text is my outline. I am going to take what it says. I'm going to repeat it. And if it's not long enough, I'm going to repeat it again. I'm going to make sure you know what it is. And I distinguish this from teaching in Bible study. It's not just a Bible study. It is a proclamation of the value, the virtue, the meaning of the text into the present moment. That, again, to bring it back to where it is, so that that the authority of this text and its proclamation would unleash your conscience and set you free, which, frankly, my metaphor, as clever as it might be, won't do that if it's not founded on the doctrine that's from the text. Right. When, right. when I was uh, at, I went, I, full, uh, full disclosure, I, I, I got my MDiv at, in the Lutheran Church, Canada, so technically not Missouri Synod, uh, but St. Catherine Seminary there, which is in fellowship with Missouri Synod. Uh, but of course, I got my STM at Fort Wayne, so that, that solves all the problems. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I'm just kidding. Anyway, 
Um, I had a professor there who is my uh, second uh, homilex professor, uh, P- Professor Torgerson, who he was the guy that we had to go to whenever we had a sermon that we were preaching, and he'd have us come into his office, and it would be like an hour-long him read. He, al- he had already read through it, and he'd go through it with us and mark it up, and it'd say, if we said anything, that even if it was true, he would say, is the text really saying that? Hmm. Are, you really, you know, are you really following the theme of the text? And he would, I mean, it was kind of, it was kind of painful at times, but I think it helped us uh, in our preaching to really stick with the scriptures. Degroot? Well, no, and, and as you're saying that too, Andrew, I, I think about it in terms of having a, you know, having a well edu- well edu- educated laity as well, um, in the sense that you know they're 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 able to not just be ones who are receiving these particular things, but you know. As you know, in, in in a couple of different parish settings, you know, as as guest preachers came in, you know, having a well-educated laity um, be able to come to you and and, and be able to point out uh, point, uh, points of, of heterodoxy and and uh, maybe not blatant heresy, but it, it's it's good to know that you have laity who is paying who are paying attention uh, to take. Uh, the proclamation seriously in, in, in understanding the importance of what it actually delivers, and that's Christ and his, his forgiveness and, 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 and himself to us. Um, but, you know, being able to also, you know, in, in, in various, uh, you know, contexts, most specifically the Winkle, and, you know, that's something that I think has gone the way of uh, more of a high-five session uh, than um, a session where you're able to actually, as brothers in Christ, Sit down and study the scriptures that you're going to be preaching uh, in the upcoming week. It's it's something that should be done on a weekly basis, if not if not more often, uh, where we're able to, to have that opportunity to be able to work with our brothers in Christ, uh, to be able to to consider the outline that's been given to us through the lectionaries, and to be able to then take what it is that our Lord has given us through these things and to be able to discuss them um, as men who have have been given the responsibility of the care of souls. Pastor DeGroote, you spent some time in Philadelphia where I was as well, so I don't know if you were you were a part of that, but there was a weekly group that met. It wasn't really a winkle or, or a circuit meeting because we had really two different circuits overlapping from two different districts, but sure. every week we read the gospel lesson for the coming week in the Greek, and, and I can't tell you how valuable that was to me personally for my own spiritual growth. What a great thing that was for me in, in, in learning what I could preach and what I should preach from, from men who had gone before. I was a young pastor at the time. It actually spawned something called Greek Tuesday and World Viewer Lasting as well, which some people right. uh, probably are, are thankful for. But what, you, what you're advocating there, I mean, it was a gorgeous thing. It's just a, a wonderful thing uh, that could, could benefit anybody, uh, any group of pastors, but also uh, just you know, to bring it back to the the lady's point of view here as well, to trust the scriptures, even in the translated in English as they are, to trust them to be valuable for your your reading, your learning, your inwardly digesting, to not be afraid of them, and to not be afraid of your pastor to go and ask him. You know, pastor, I'm reading through the book of Jeremiah, and it's really confusing. Can you tell me what this means? Right, and and this is good for the soul. It's good to be a learner. It's good to not know. People stay out of Bible study because they're afraid they don't know enough. No, no, that's the reason to go to Bible study is to get deeper into these things. So uh, each of you guys, we've got about uh, three minutes left here, so each of you take two minutes or so, and you do the math on that. And uh, uh, Pastor Preuss, you go first. Uh, closing thoughts on the hour. Oh, sure. Well, just to kind of go take off from what you were just saying, you know, that that, uh, that people should be very encouraged to go to Bible study. When I, when I do Bible study, I often start my Bible studies off 
almost half taking up half of the time reviewing because hmm. I understand that we need to repeat and go through what we just talked about the previous weeks and just kind of sum it up and I you know and and I do that in order to uh to kind of take off some of the tension that people might have when maybe they missed last week and maybe they're a little lost and I you know I think that people should not be afraid to go to Bible study their pastor is 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 learning the scriptures along with them even though he is the called teacher he himself is learning and uh you know Luther came to his understanding of the gospel through teaching the Bible and this is this is uh it's a wonderful gift for all of us and so we should not be should not be intimidated at all Pastor DeGroote yeah and, and I, I I echo that sentiment as well I mean I think you know the one thing I always used to say to the people that you know that they were at my first parish in, in Rochester New York um is that you know my goodness you know especially for the learner uh, especially the laity if you can't make a mistake in terms of um, the questions you ask and, and to allow for there to be um, correction uh, and, and and redirection if you can't do that in the church my goodness where is that going to happen mm-hmm. and and the great possibility that we have to be able to discuss the scriptures freely openly um, and to to um, be able to handle them as, as precious and 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 as true, um, understanding that they are the ones and they are the things that that guide our very guide and inform our very life now and forever. Um, to be able to, to to dive in boldly and to be beholden to the fact that our Lord has given us these things um, simply uh, that we might know who He is, that we He might we might know. Um, how he loves us, and not only that, but also I think you see uh, how that's been evidenced in, in in the church that he's he's died to to buy to to purchase and and has won. And um, echoing that that sentiment of, of Pastor Toys, I absolutely agree. Is that you no? Know, the more time <clears throat> that we have together uh, in the scriptures, the better. Pastor Adam DeGroote is pastor at St. Andrew's Lutheran Church Plant in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And Pastor Andrew Preuss, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, as well as St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Guest here on Sharp, uh, Sharper Iron. I, uh, that's what I did this morning. Guest here on Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. Gentlemen, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, and any time. I tell you what, universe. I tell you what, my friend. The authority of Scripture, the authority of the church to speak in repetition of what God has already most surely said is God's gift to the world. That what he has to say is not, I condemn you, but I justify you, I save you, I bind you to myself and my son, it makes it all the better. It is the thing to free your conscience and send you forth into a life that will never end. We'll catch you next week. Cross Defense. Listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314 996 1518. 
Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at KFUO.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.